All right, let's continue our Wednesday night series by going to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 2. Out of the 66 books in our Bible, this, in my opinion, is the most unique. God is not mentioned. His Word is not mentioned. His prophets are not mentioned. And really nothing spiritual is expressly mentioned. There are times we will read between the lines, but for the most part we don't see anything of that nature. And instead we find God's providence. Even when God appears to be hidden, we'll see that God is always at work. Psalm 22.8 says, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. Aren't you glad God is always in complete control? Something's wrong with my throat. (laughs) God moves pieces around on the world stage as He sees fit. What we see going on in the world is not taking God by surprise. He is perfectly aware. He is not caught off guard. He has a plan and He has a purpose. And we are living in very interesting days. We live in a day of willful ignorance. People are believing outright lies. The Apostle Paul wrote in his day, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. But I want to remind you that while we live in the midst of prevailing wickedness, let not your heart be troubled. God is at work. God is still on the throne. And we need to trust the providential hand of God at work in this world. His wisdom excels ours. He knows what's best, and we can trust His watch care over us. Now, before we get started, I want to take just a moment to remind you where we are at in our study. In chapter 1, King Ahasuerus showed off his kingdom to all his leaders for 180 days. And then to cap that off, he threw a seven-day feast at his palace. And on the seventh day, the king was drunk. He requested that Vashti His wife and queen would show off her beauty before all the men, but she declined. It was an inappropriate request in general. It was a request that he would not have made had he been sober-minded. And it also went against Persian customs, so Vashti refused. Her refusal then led to the king issuing a decree that she be deposed as queen, that she never be allowed to be in his presence again. And then as chapter 2 opens, we find the king is down and out. It's likely referring to him having a failed campaign against Greece. And in his funk, he remembers Vashti. But now it's too late. The king's decree cannot be changed, not even by the king. So the king's servants, they get the idea. In order to get the king's mind off of Vashti, they have a plan to seek for fair young virgins throughout the empire, bring them to the palace in Shushan, and allow the king to choose which one will become the next queen. And the king agrees to this plan. As this plan begins to take shape, we see Mordecai and Esther come on the scene. And I took last week to introduce these two main characters in this book. We considered what I would say some speculative thoughts 
concerning Mordecai. And then we considered the meaning of the names Hadassah and Esther and how they picture her character and they foreshadow some key points that are going to take place in this account. And I can't take time to recap all of that. And I don't want you to re-fall asleep. So please go back and listen if you missed last week. And all kidding aside, there was some good information there. Somebody say amen. Make me feel better about myself, okay? Let's pick up where we left off. We'll begin by reading verses 5 through 10 of Esther chapter 2. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which he had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, who Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her thanks for purification with, with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. Now, we made it to the beginning of verse 7 last week, and while I mentioned the entirety of the verse, let's just briefly observe these things again before we move on. We see that Esther was Mordecai's uncle's daughter, which means Esther and Mordecai were cousins. And though they were cousins, he was likely twice her age. Many suppose Esther was around 20 years of age or even maybe in her late teens. That Mordecai would have been roughly twice her age, probably around the age of 40. He obviously was old enough to be responsible to raise her. At some point in Esther's life, her parents have died. And the way this reads, it would seem that this happened early on in her life. But either way, he takes Esther for his own daughter. And in this, we see what kind of character and what kind of man Mordecai was. God has a special place in his heart for those who will step up and raise other children as their own when they have no one else. Because this is God's heart. Just a few verses here. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, speaking of God, a father of the fatherless and a judge of widows is God in His holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. Psalm 82.3, defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy. And James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Biblically, we can say that the love of God dwelled within Mordecai. 
First John uh, three seventeen says, "But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him?" Mordecai then must have had the love of God because he has this compassion for Esther. He saw her need. And with the means that he had available to him, he raises her as his own daughter. And therefore in Mordecai we see the love of God manifested. In Isaiah 49, 15 it says, Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Your family, your friends, they may forsake you. You may be one who comes from a troubled childhood. But if you'll go to God through Christ in faith, you will find God to be a loving Father who wants to bring you into His family, make you joint heirs with Christ, and you'll find Him to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Psalm 27.10 When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. If you happen to be in the company of those tonight who have been adopted into a godly home, then thank God for the family God has given you. By them raising you, they have demonstrated the love of God in your life. I for one am eternally grateful for my dad raising me as his own It revealed God's love to me at a very early age. As a result, I understand the precious truth of being adopted into the family of God because of my dad's love. And I can look back and I can see how it was God's providence that brought my mom and my dad together. I don't think I would be here today if it happened any other way. But God had a plan, and God had a purpose for my life. And here in our text, as this unfolds, we'll see it is God's providence that has brought Esther and Mordecai together because God has a plan and a purpose for their life. And I want to tell you tonight, God has a plan and a purpose for you. Don't get the idea that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love you, He died for you. He gave His life for you. He shed His blood for you. He has a plan for you. As this unfolds, we see that God had a specific plan in mind. And He's going to use some people that come from some heartache in their past. Some pain that they had to go through. Probably some headaches, some heartaches, some confusion, some, God, what are you doing in my life? There were sacrifices made by Mordecai to raise her. There there was a willing submission on the part of Esther to obey him as her father. And in all of this, God was preparing two vessels to be used by him. And I want you to get this. We often have to go through the fires in order to be a vessel that is meet 
for the master's use. God will use anyone, but He cannot use everyone. Say, what do you mean? He's going to put you through trials, and how you come through that's going to determine whether or not you're ready to be used by Him. If you come through the refining process still with your eyes on Christ, God will determine how usable you are. And of course, staying available is key. We go through deep valleys in life. And sometimes it's things we don't fully understand. We don't always know how God is at work. And we wonder why in the world God would allow certain circumstances to take place. Why the difficulties? Why the pain? God, what are you doing? Well, God is preparing you. What is He preparing you for? You may not know until years down the road. But eventually it comes into view. And I want you to know that God desires to use, He does desire to use you, but He must first prepare you. Amen. Think about Joseph. He was 17 years old when he had the two dreams that his family would bow before him one day. They threw him in a pit. It would be 13 years later when he was 30 years old that he was elevated and God began to fulfill that revelation in Joseph's life when he was just a young man. But he first would be betrayed by his brothers, thrown in that pit, sold into slavery, end up in Egypt where he would be falsely accused of rape, go into prison, stay there longer than he should have. The butler finally remembers him after two years of being down there and it would still be an additional nine years until his brothers came looking for food and God's prophecy was fulfilled that they would bow before him. There were 22 years from revelation until it came to pass. But all the while, God was preparing him. God's people are not elevated without times of testing and proving. They must first be prepared or else they will not be able to handle what God has in store for them. I don't have time to give you my testimony again. You've heard it many times, but I know that that's why we went to North Dakota. I knew God was calling me here. I knew it 13 years prior. God said, i got to take you through some things. Because God needs to prepare a man before He elevates a man. Man or woman. And so God was preparing Joseph for such a time as that. And so it was for Esther. She's being prepared by God through the difficulties in her life to be used at such a time as this. It was years in the making. But the, the purpose was going to be revealed in time. And I want you to understand tonight that she still has more that she's going to have to endure before she is elevated. Esther is about to go through a terrible experience. And we often glaze over this because we may not fully understand all that is being said here, but there's going to be this waiting period of great uncertainty before God elevates her and she is going to be yanked into this circumstance. Look at verse 8. 
So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought into the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Now, I've mentioned before, we've kind of had a little bit of fun with this, that this was going to be a beauty contest, but that's not the case. This is a horrible thing that is taking place here. And we need to understand as we go into this account what is being told to us here. Notice the language. It says, These maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace. That Hebrew word for gathered together means to grasp, to collect, to heap, to take up. And when it says that Esther was brought, that Hebrew word for brought, it means to take, to carry away, and to seize. So don't, don't think of this as these women volunteering. These young virgin girls are being taken against their will. She is not volunteering for this. They are not looking at this as their lottery ticket to somehow have a better life by becoming queen. There may have been some that thought that, but I doubt it. They are, they, what we are seeing here is nothing more than pure tyranny and perversion. Maybe you've heard the saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. These women, they're being gathered together. They're being brought to be used for Ahasuerus' carnal pleasure. We don't know how many were brought. We know that Josephus, the Jewish historian, records that it was 400 ladies. It could have been more than that. We don't know. But out of 127 provinces, you can bet there's a lot of women that are being brought in for this. And this is, in short, I would tell you tonight, this is nothing short of legalized sex trafficking. It is horrific. It is sick. And things are just as wicked in our day. We think, oh boy, that's how the Persians act. No, that's how Americans act. Just last month, a 15-year-old girl who was attending a Dallas, Dallas Mavericks basketball game with her father went to the restroom by herself and never returned. And people used to think we were crazy because we wouldn't let our kids go to the bathroom by themselves. Oh no, I won't even let them spend the night with you. Unless I really know you. Goes to the restroom, never returns. They find her 10 days later, 200 miles away in Oklahoma City, kept captive in a hotel room, and they found her because somebody posted online ads on a prostitution website. Same thing happens in our day. And these tragedies surface time and time again at many of our major sporting events. People are looking. I shouldn't have to convince you to keep an eye on your children. Imagine your 15 to 20-year-old daughter being forced away from your family to be taken to the king's palace, never to be freed again. Because this wasn't a contest where at the end of it, Esther's chosen that the, the people are just going to say, well, thank you for your participation. You all can go home now. That's not what's taking place here. What's happening is the ones who are not chosen are going to live, live the rest of their life as concubines to the king. They'll never have a family. They'll never see their homeland again. They'll never be married. 
And they'll be stuck there for the rest of their life. In fact, they'll never see the king again unless he calls for them by name to have a night together to fulfill his own selfish gratification. That's what we're looking at here. Even after being chosen queen, Esther was not going to be able to just go to the king unbidden. It it was not allowed by Persian law for anybody to just come up to the king without being called. Because if you did, you were taking a major risk that he wasn't going to extend the scepter to you. Rather, he would have you killed. And so even as queen, she's not going to have the ability just to be there before him. In fact, we'll see in chapter 4, there's going to be a 30-day period where she says, I've not been called before the king. And it looks as though she's losing favor with the king as this begins to go forward. And her penalty, if she does go before the king unbidden, which she will do, is going to be death if he decides, sorry, I don't want to deal with you. So this is terrible what we're seeing here. Uh, Essentially, Mordecai, who has raised this precious, sweet little girl, has her yanked from his house. She's taken into the palace, into the harem, the place where the women are kept for the king. He knows, she knows, she's going to lose her innocence against her will. This isn't going to be a fairy tale life by becoming queen. Can you imagine the emotions they're going through at this point? Neither Mordecai nor Esther have any idea of Haman's plot to come to destroy the Jews. They don't know that Esther is going to be chosen as queen yet. They don't know how God is working behind the scenes. Can you imagine what they must be going through? Jeremiah 24.5, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah. That's this group. Whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. How interesting. You see, what we find is that even though these are difficult times, God still has a plan. God still has a purpose that He's going to fulfill. And listen to me tonight. God is always ahead of the enemy. Now, at the end of verse 8, we see Esther. She's brought into the king's house, this place for the king's women. She's given over to the custody of Haggai, the keeper of the women. Obviously, he would have been a eunuch. And we see in verse 9, Esther obtained kindness from Haggai. He gives her the things for her purification. We might say for her preparation. And he gave her seven maidens to help her. I know some women that need seven ladies to help them. Anyway, we see that Haggai preferred her unto the best place of the house. She's, if you will, she's being put in the front already. And he obviously picks up on something about Esther. Obviously, her outward beauty would play a role in his preferment of her. Working for the king, perhaps he would think that if she's chosen being under his watch, it would somehow help him. He may have seen something in her character as well. We are also witnessing God's providence, however. You see, God moves in the affairs of men. God works in the heart. God can can take the heart of a king and He can turn it like He turns a river. 
And God is placing in the heart of Haggai to give her preferential treatment already as this begins to happen. In verse 10, we read that Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai I had charged her that she should not show it. Though the Jews had been freed to go back into the land at the decree of Cyrus when he took over the Babylonians, we, we find here in this account that there are still people, even though they had been freed, who are despising the Jews. In particular, we'll see that Haman has a disdain for them because Mordecai will refuse to bow before him. Mordecai's thinking is that if her nationality is revealed, it would be a hindrance to her, and perhaps she's going to be ill-treated as a result of knowing those things. Some suppose, and I am of a mind to agree, that once her nationality was revealed, it would also reveal her people's religious systems and laws because they were well aware of what the Jews believed. This would have been a problem. We'll see this in Esther chapter 3 and verse 8. And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's law. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. So knowing that, it was known that there were still Jews in Persia in this empire, who did not worship Persia's false gods. And and I would think maybe, I don't know, just speculating here, but perhaps a Persian king is not as likely to choose a girl that is from the captivity living in exile, born born in the exile, but originally being taken captive, somebody who would not share those same worship of false gods. Just something to think about. And I I want to just say this, sometimes there is wisdom in not publishing everything about yourself. Man, social media just gets on my nerves. I really could care less what you had for lunch anyway. But there's some things that just don't need to be known. And listen, Esther was never asked. She's not in any position that she has to declare these things. It's not like she's lying. Nobody asked her. Living in Shushan with a Persian name... They probably assumed she was Persian or maybe Babylonian. And and I wonder, have you ever wondered, I do, if Joseph should have just kept his mouth shut? He was given those two dreams that he was going to have his family bow before him, and I always wonder, should he have just kept that to himself? Once he told his brothers, the Bible says they hated him yet the more, which means they already hated him. Now they hate him even more. Just a thought there, but sometimes we would be well served to keep quiet and let God work in His time. That did not go over as well as I hoped. We'd be better off to let God work in His time. It may also be worth noting that when a people are out of the will of God, they typically don't proclaim their testimony of God. That may be part of it here. When Jonah was fleeing God's will, he didn't reveal he was a Hebrew and a worshiper of the God of heaven until after the lots were cast and it fell upon him. And then he fessed up. He was out of the will of God. And if you're out of the will of God, you're probably not bragging about your walk with God. That might be the problem with your witnessing. Ah, Okay, I'm trying not to preach. Bible study, amen. 
So the case can be made that once Mordecai refused to admit to being a Jew, that he also was in part denying his God. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And listen, it also would have been out of God's will for her to marry a pagan man. By the way, God's still against that. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We know God wasn't against Gentile converts being brought in. We see that in the law. I can show you that in Deuteronomy. We also see examples of Rahab and Ruth. They, but they became followers of God and they left their old life behind. They did not retain their false religion. Joseph also took a Gentile bride while down in Egypt, but he retained his identity. He gave his children Hebrew names. And just an interesting side note that I came across Joseph's, Joseph's Egyptian name, Zaphnath Paania. Yeah, do you know how many? Do you know how many syllables that is? We need to figure that out, even. And I, I, may, I may have missed some in there. Zaphnath Paania. Anyway, his Egyptian name means revealer of secrets. He married a Gentile bride, while Hadassah's Persian name means hidden, and she married a Gentile husband. Both were used providentially by God to keep their people alive. There's got to be something there. I just didn't have time to study it all out. But that's very interesting. Also interesting to note is that by Esther marrying a pagan man, she'll be used by God to keep her people alive. But when those who return to the land, at the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, both those books... They're going to reprove the people for taking strange women and marrying them. There's something worth studying in all this. I just haven't had, I've had to resist the temptation. And there's a lot of depth here. Back to our text though. There was also the hand of God in causing her nationality to be concealed at this time because of what God planned to accomplish down the road. I've already stated once that it was more unlikely for Ahasuerus to choose Esther if she knew, if he knew she was a Jew. But secondly, had it been revealed that she was a Jew and she still became the queen, then I can't see how Haman would have ever plotted to destroy the Jews knowing he's plotting to destroy the king's wife. So all of this is being concealed because God's providential hand is at work. And that's what we need to get from that. Now, I, I really did intend to get a lot further tonight. I had a thought that I wanted to get to, but we don't have time. And I always feel like I need to end with a challenge and a charge and all that kind of stuff and application. So I'm just going to end with this thought. Ultimately, 
these Jews are in exile out of God's will. They should have returned to the land when they were permitted. But they've put down roots. They've opened up shop. They're now living there. They're content. And in these verses, I want you to notice just how restless and complicated life gets when you're outside of the will of God. Though you may still be under His providence, you do not want to live your life outside of the will of God. And I realize that being in the will of God does not mean the absence of trouble. Oftentimes it means that you're going to go through some things. Paul said we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom. However, when you're in the will of God, even through difficulties, you'll have the peace of God. And you'll find peace and you'll find rest for your souls while in the will of God. And you will not be concealing your Christianity. How many at your work know you're a believer? How many do you witness to? And you won't end up living contrary to God's Word, all of which we see in this chapter. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know it well. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Colossians 1, 9-14 For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to, and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Listen, you may go through hard times, but if you're in the will of God, you'll understand that prayer. And you'll understand that even though there's difficult things that may be happening, you can be filled with the knowledge of His will, and in so doing, you can be fruitful, you can walk Unto the Lord with all pleasing, you can give thanks unto God, you can be strengthened in His might, have all patience, long-suffering, and joyfulness. But when you get out of the will of God, and those same things happen, both houses in Matthew 7 went through the exact same storm. But only the house built upon the rock stood, the one upon the sand and all of us are going to go through the same storms but how we come through is going to be whether or not we're in the will of God because if you're not in the will of God you're going to be wringing your hands and you're going to be wondering are you here for such a time as this Uh, are you in God's will tonight do you know that I, I want to tell you from my own personal experience there is nothing better than knowing you're in God's will not always fun being a pastor, but through every situation, every difficulty, every heartache, every stab in the back, 
I know I'm in God's will. And that brings me a peace that I cannot explain. Meanwhile, we see people dropping out left and right. They blow in, they blow up, they blow out. Why? Because the same exact thing happened to them. But they did not have peace about God's will. And they fall by the wayside. If you don't know you're in the will of God, you need to get in the will of God. I got to stop. We were supposed to hand out the financial report. Brother Russ, could you just have them and hand them out there at the back of the door? They're up here in the front seat. Um, I'm going to pray. You can sneak up when I pray, then nobody will know you're walking up here. And then if you'll stand by the back door, hand those out to people on the way out. If you have any questions, come and see me. Let's pray.